Peace be with you. That's how we do it in, in uh, Traverse City. <clears throat> um, uh, yeah, it is very, very similar, yes. Um, a- Andrew and Leah and I, we all went to college together, uh, graduated the same year. I, I'm, I, Leah, were you in our class? I think you were in our class. Yeah, we were all, all three of us were in the same class, and um, Andrew was at a rival dorm, and it's, uh, you know, we often wondered, could anything good come out of Schaefer? Uh, but something did good come out of Schaefer, and uh, we're thankful for that. Um, uh, Andrew and Leah also have a long, long relationship with the Lambs, with Dave and Brenda, and there's been a sweet, sweet relationship there and a lot of things to celebrate as God has been at work uh, in and through them and through their ministry. And, you know, I think if you're part of the Sojourn family, you know what joy we've had with Tanya and Alicia just being part of our church family uh, as they've come from Ukraine to be with us here. And if, uh, if two people can bring us that much joy and, and gratitude, I can't imagine how, many, how much uh, opportunity and, and joy and um, just uh, thankfulness that fills your heart as you got to uh, be part of that and still uh, are part of it even now. Uh, so we are in a series in, um, in the book of Matthew, and we were working through the Sermon on the Mount throughout the fall, summer and fall. And uh, we've come back into it to uh, address the, the Lord's Prayer. And this is our fourth Sunday uh, in, in the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we're going to keep moving. And we're taking each of these phrases that, that Jesus puts in front of us. Um, and, you know, this is always a challenge. We were just uh, talk, talking about this with, with someone else the, the other day. But the idea that, um, you know, the Scripture, um, when, when we preach through these books of the Bible or we preach through something like the Lord's Prayer... It's important to remember that Jesus said this prayer in like 15 seconds. I mean, Andrew just read it to you. It doesn't take long to read it. And yet we're spreading it out over seven or eight weeks and spending 40 or 45 minutes on each phrase. And so on the one hand, that's good. On the other hand, the danger is, is to somehow miss the forest by focusing too much on one tree. And so we're focusing on a tree each week, but we want to keep in mind the fact that this is an entire uh, prayer and that this all really is glued together. And it fits together. And as we uh, put phrase upon phrase, each of these phrases actually gets richer the more we hold on to uh, where we have already been. And so today, uh, we are moving into the the later part of of verse 10 and the phrase, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So first, I want us to consider this as an invitation to dream. Uh, Last week, as we looked at the phrase, your kingdom come, you know, we realize that Jesus, uh, as he's you know, teaching us to pray, he's teaching us to pray for God's reign and rule to spread all over the globe into every single heart. Said last week that, that the kingdom of God, it, for us, we often think of that as something with parameters, perimeters, walls. We think of it as a location, but it's not so much a location or a place as it is an action, It's God's kingship. It's God's rule. It's God's reign. It's this sense in which people are being reoriented to recognize his authority and his rule in their life and in the world. From that perspective, we recognize that while Jesus brought the kingdom 2,000 years ago, it's what Jesus says. You read the gospels and it's like usually one of Jesus' first comments is repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. I'm here with the kingdom. And so there's a sense in which Jesus brought the kingdom 2,000 years ago, but there's another sense in which, look around. It doesn't feel like it's here. There's a lot of things that do not align with God's rule and reign, with his kingship. And so there's an already, not yet, 
to the kingdom of God. Jesus won the victory. He went to the cross and he conquered sin and death and Satan and all of our enemies. And he won the right to be the king. And yet that kingdom is not here yet, not in full. And so we live in this in-between where the kingdom has broken in, but it's not here in full. So Jesus is the king who is going to reign and he will rule God's kingdom here on earth but it's not set up in full, not, not yet. As Jesus moves to this next section, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus helps us consider what life in God's kingdom should be, what it can be, and, and what, it, what it will be, what it, what it will look like. The, the, the will of God, um, maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe you've, you've spent some time investigating the will of God, and there are uh, you know, many books that have been written on the will of God. Some of them are good, and some of them, some of them aren't so good. Um, but it's this, it's this kind of a complex idea that, that a lot of us wrestle with, and we're asking all kinds of questions about the will of God. And, and if you're in your 20s, you're probably asking God, you know, what, who's, the, who's the person I'm supposed to marry? Or, you know, what, what, what career am I supposed supposed to go into. And some of us are like, you know, what car am I supposed to buy? And what color of a car am I supposed to buy? And we're like investigating this, 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 this idea and saying, I like, I want God's will. I want to follow God's will. Well, that's an entire rabbit hole. And a few years ago, I preached a sermon on the, the complexity of, of God's will. And I, there's just no way to really do that today and to be able to get to what I think we need to get to. So let me just say the will of God can be a little complicated. But what Jesus is saying, what he means by the will of God is he, he means God's design. He means God's desire for the world. He is inviting us in a sense into a dream. He's inviting us to consider a world in total alignment with God's good design a world where every system and every relationship is working perfectly. You know, one of the things that we like to talk about here is wholeness. That, that, that Hebrew word, shalom, where everything is right, where everything is whole, where everything works as it should work. A, a world where love for God and love for others, those two great commandments that Jesus pointed to, are on full and constant display. When Jesus talks about the will of God, he's inviting us to think about, boy, like, that, like think about that. Dream about that. What, how incredible is that picture? Why is Jesus inviting us into that? Well, because the heart of every human inhabiting the kingdom of God will want what God wants. And every, uh, all the hands of every person in the kingdom of God will do what God says is good to do. The kingdom of God will be a place where human dignity is honored on every street and in every village. And this longing is more present in our current culture than we often realize that it is. This is why, you know, when you watch a movie, I mean, the stats are clear. When you watch a movie, whether you want to admit it or not, you want a happy ending. You, you want the movie to end with a happy ending. And even if you think you're more artsy and you like... No, you don't. The stats do not agree with you. People want happy endings to their movies. But it even goes a little bit further than that. They want happy endings because they actually think that that's what should happen. Like, that's what should happen. So, you know, it's not the only reason. But why is Hallmark... Why is the Hallmark Channel so popular 
it always ends the way people think it should end. You know, I've, I've said this before, but there's been a time or two where something has happened and my wife's watching a Hallmark movie and like, she doesn't get to finish it. And I'm like, well, honey, I think I know how it ends. <laughs> they get together. Shocker. And that's not just my wife, and it's not just people who like Hallmark Channel. We like happy endings, and we like them because we actually think that that's what should happen. It's like it's baked into us. We love it when that dream is put in front of us, everything right, everything whole. You know, it's February, and in the United States, this month is designated as Black History Month. And over the course of like maybe from the middle of January through the month of February, it is a common experience uh, to, to hear again some very famous and powerful words from Reverend Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King. From a speech that he gave in August of 1963, about 60 years ago. And it's, uh, the, the title of that speech is, I Have a Dream. That, that's what it's referred to, is his I Have a Dream speech. And if you were to carve out the, the, the section maybe that has become uh, most famous, uh, it's, it's only a 15 or 16 minute speech, uh, and it's a, it's a great thing to, to re-listen to, uh, but th th there's a section of it, and it'll be on the screen behind me, but, but this is th these are words that have lasted 60 years, and that on an annual basis, they are rehearsed and revisited. L listen to what he says. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I'm, going to a, I'm, I'm taking a program at Duke, Duke University, and I've got a lot of black classmates. And if they were reading this, they would be able to get into this and find the rhythm. I'm not even going to, not even going to try. But that's, you know, I have, I have a dream today. I, I have a dream that one day, down in Alabama, with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day, right down in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley will be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. That, yeah, that's worth clapping about. That the, the, the end of that especially, that, that is Old Testament prophetic language of the coming kingdom, of the prophets looking into this future day where it is all made right, where, where, the, where, as he says at the end there, where every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, the crooked places will be made straight, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. He, he, is, he, he, he is dreaming of that kind of a world. And it didn't just captivate the, those who were at the speech. It didn't just captivate any of the minorities that heard this. It captivated our entire nation. And it, and it played an, an incredible role in moving the needle in important ways. And much of it's related to the fact that he tapped into this dream, this vision of a world where it's right, where little kids, regardless of the color of their skin, are getting together. 
and where the, 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 the wicked histories and the tragedies that have happened, the people on both sides of those tragedies are actually seated at the same table in brotherhood and sisterhood. It's, it's a beautiful picture of the future. And he's tapping into the Bible's vision of the future. You know, his name is Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he's being referred to a little bit more often as Dr. Martin Luther King. But it's Reverend Doctor. He was a pastor. And part of what he did in the civil rights movement was he looked at this nation and he actually said, like, you're not being Christian enough. You're not seeing what this Bible actually calls you to, what the God of heaven invites you to. And on this specific issue of civil rights, we can do better. Well, the, the, the Bible and this vision of the kingdom or the, the will of God is actually saying, yes, that, yes, that in civil rights, yes, that in race relations, but that everywhere, a world where it's all right, where every system works, where every relationship is as it should be. Jesus is inviting us into the ultimate dream. He's, not, he's inviting us into a dream, but not just a dream. He's also inviting us to honesty. Why do we need to pray about this? Why do we need to pray your will be done? Well, part of the reason why we need to pray about it is because God's will is not being done. Because as, as beautiful as that dream is, like why did Martin Luther King have a dream? Because that wasn't the experience of the world in 1963. Why, why do we feel this reality of a world where every relationship's right? Part of that is because you have relationships that aren't right. Why, why does this resonate with us? Because we look around at our world and we know the world is not working. You know, we love those movies with happy endings, happy endings that we actually think should happen. But do you know what? That's in spite of the fact that the majority of the history of the world tells you the happy ending isn't what is normal. And yet we still long for it. You see, part of why this resonates with us is because it's not true now. Because right now, we feel the weight of all of this brokenness. Jesus is pointing to the ultimate dream that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but he's pointing, it to, pointing us to it uh, because that's not the condition of things right now. Well, why not? Well, because of something called sin. A, a definition of sin, sin is any violation of the way or the law of God. Any violation of that is, is sin. In other words, when we do something other than what God said to do, the Bible calls that sin. And you might be really comfortable with the word sin, or you might, you know, the hair on your neck might be standing up when you hear the word sin, but the Bible is not afraid of the word sin. The Bible actually thinks that us understanding the severity of sin is a needed piece to understanding what's going on with the world we live in. So th this is important. Sin brings death. The Bible tells us that crystal clear. When we violate God's law, when we violate his design, when we violate his way, it brings death. Well, what is death? Death is separation. And so when you understand the unfolding of the Bible, what we get is this picture where God created a good world and everything was right and shalom and wholeness filled the earth. And then in just the third chapter of the Bible, humanity chooses to reject God's way, to violate God's law. He told them to do it this way. They didn't choose to do that. They chose to do it their own way. And what happened? 
Well, it immediately brought death, and death brings separation. So we had separation from ourselves, separation from the world that we live in, separation from each other, and ultimately, separation from God. The Bible is telling us that when Adam and Eve rejected God's law, when they rejected his will in the garden, that that broke open the floodgates. And tragedy and and brokenness flooded into the world. So now sin is everywhere. Sin, death, separation, loss, pain, sorrow, sickness. It fills the earth. This shows up as sins done by us. It shows up as sins done to us. And then it shows up as just sin in the system. Where it's not necessarily one person's choice. It's just the nature of things. It's just things don't work out. It just, it just goes badly. Or you get a health diagnosis. That, that, that's no one person's fault. That, that's, not one, that's not one decision. That's the reality of the brokenness of the world. The brokenness of the system. You know, Paul Tripp, I think it's Paul Tripp, has this illustration that, I, that I've been helped by uh, many, many times. And, and this is how he tries to communicate it. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it's like they shattered this huge pane of glass. And when that pane of glass shattered, shards of glass scattered all over the earth to every single square inch of the earth. And now life on this earth is a life where we are often getting cut by shards of glass. Now, sometimes we get cut because we're picking up the shard of glass and we're playing with the shard of glass even though we know we shouldn't. Sometimes we get cut by the glass because someone else has, has, has stabbed us with that piece of glass. Sometimes we get cut because we just accidentally stepped on a piece. It wasn't willful. It wasn't a choice. It's just that's the nature of the brokenness of the system, the brokenness of the world. The world is broken by sin, and these shards of glass are everywhere. Sometimes it's our fault because we're picking them up and playing with them. Sometimes someone else uses them against us. Sometimes we accidentally step on it. But it helps us understand the pervasiveness of this situation. When you ask what's wrong with the world, sin is what's wrong with the world. And it's infected far more than most of us want to think it is infected. Have you experienced this? Well, the answer is 100% yes, you have. You've experienced it every day that you've lived on this earth. Every day that you've been here, the effects of this reality, the brokenness of the world, are part of your reality. Why do you get sick? Why are there tragic losses? Why do you hurt other people? Why do other people hurt you? Why are we so ready to ignore God's good way? Why is uh, sexual purity such a, a challenge for us? Why is greed so easy for us? Why is materialism and consumerism, why why are these things all around us all the time? The the Bible says because when sin came in, it flooded the earth. It infected the system, and that includes our hearts. This world hurts and is hurting. Some of why we need to pray your will be done is because we have personally failed to care about God's will. And we need to actually say, God, like, I actually do care about your will. I actually do care about your design. I do care about your way. I, 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 I've, I've ignored it. 
I've played loose with it. I've done my own thing, but I really do want to care about it. Sometimes we need to pray because we're looking at tragedies going on in the world. Think about that list. Just the ones that make the news. You know, the citizens of Afghanistan. Our church over the last few years has had the opportunity to help, I think, now three families from Afghanistan uh, resettle here in in Traverse City. And the the tragedy and the trauma that's going on in the the country of Afghanistan is is heartbreaking. It, It is rated as the worst place in the world to be a Christian, but it's the worst place in the world for a lot of things, too. It's, it's broken and it's suffering. And the fact that our Afghanistan friends join us uh, to worship, it, it's extremely meaningful to us that you are here with us. And we love what God is doing in your life. And we love the life that you've brought to our congregation. And we thank you for your faithfulness to God in the face of really, really hard things. And we think of Ukraine, the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia who are both suffering under this Uh, this situation. And again, Tanya and Alicia, we're so glad that you guys are part of our church family and that God opened doors for you to come and join us. And for all of you, we we don't know how long you're going to be with us, but for every day you're here, we are thrilled with that. And at the same time, we recognize the trauma that you've gone through and the trauma that your nations are going through. If you think of nations like uh, Palestine and what's going on in real time in Palestine, A tragedy happened a few months ago, and the tragedies since have been growing and severe, and people are homeless, and people are hungry, and people are hurting, and it's complicated to try to figure out how to help, and the details keep seem like they're changing here and there, and yet these are human beings. Real people live in Gaza. Real people live in those places. Our hearts should go out to them. If you think of Somalia and South Sudan and Central African Republic and the DRC, these nations and many other nations in the continent of Africa are struggling with food. People are like starving. And how much food do we throw away every day, every week? And yet these parts of the world are struggling to even get their basic needs met. If we think of the crisis going on at the U.S. southern border and all the complexities that exist there, and all the conditions in South America that even uh, cause a situation like this, and the confusion of our own government to be able to have a legitimate policy. These are things, listen, here's the question. Do these break your heart more than they inflame your political position? Because maybe you heard, listen to that list and you're like, well, I like that situation. I don't care much about that situation. Oh, don't you know the real reason for that situation? Oh, what about this situation? Listen, they should break our hearts and they should cause us to pray, your will be done. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are real human beings and they're so far away. It's easy to make it impersonal. And even with our Afghanistan and, and Ukrainian friends here, it's easy to forget what's going on in those nations. It should break our hearts and it should cause us to cry out in honesty to God. Man, would would your will be done on this earth? Sometimes we need to pray that phrase because we've tasted it. We've tasted the brokenness through the randomness of a tragic accident or a cancer diagnosis or an unexpected, unexplained loss. But when you realize that the dream is not just a wish but something that is real. That what, what, what Jesus, what he tempts us to think about, what he invites us to think about, this world where it's all right, where it's all restored, 
where it's all made whole. That is not a wish dream. That's not pie in the sky. That's, that's what's coming. It's what was, and it's what's coming. And as we hold on to those realities, we have the right to lament over the failures and the hurts and the losses that are here now. To not end up hopeless, to not end up apathetic, but to have a real sense of like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Yeah, this world doesn't give me any reason to believe in happy endings, but for some reason my heart longs for them. I'll tell you the reason. Because you're part of a story that has an incredibly happy ending. And we should long for that. And, but we should be honest about now. We can't wait for that kingdom to come, but we should be honest about the situation that we're living in right now. And so when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are trying, we are being invited to be honest about the condition of our own hearts and the world in which we live. So an invitation to a dream, an invitation to honesty, and then lastly, an invitation to, to trust. There's a more fundamental invitation here. As incredible as the dream is, as incredible as it, or as important as it is to be honest, there's a more fundamental invitation. You know, last week we were faced with the question of the rule of King Jesus over every square inch of the earth, over every heart, uh, over the, every heart of every human. We refer to it as Christ's rule or self-rule. Are you trying to rule you? Are you going to let Christ and his kingdom rule? Well, this one is not that much different. Again, these things are glued together. It's just maybe a little bit more tangible. Your will or God's will? Which will wins the day? What you say should happen or what God says should happen? Now, we've been working our way through a guy named John Smed through his, his wheel and uh, our, our default sense of prayer is to pray about ourselves, to make the world about us. We are the center of gravity. We are the center of the universe, the blue circle. But what Jesus is doing with the Lord's Prayer is those large striped uh, arrows is he's inviting us to turn away from ourselves and to actually have a broader uh, view of, of what's going on in the world. So to increase our capacity for God, our Father in heaven, reverence of God, get rid of our idols, holy is your name. Rejoice in Jesus' reign. Announce the gospel. Your kingdom come. And then down here, your will be done. God's will becomes ours, including mercy and justice. So Jesus is reorienting us. And he's saying, as you pray about this, and as you think about the dream of the world as it could be, as it will be, as you get honest about the condition that we're in right now, can you reorient yourself to trust God in this mess? Can you do that? And Jesus is actually saying that that's going to be a necessary piece to the Lord's Prayer, is this reorientation from your will to God's will. When we pray, your will be done, instead of my will be done, you know, God, just relieve my struggles, you know, do my bidding, we are instead saying, I trust you. That's the most fundamental aspect of this phrase in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. It's the, fun, the most fundamental idea is I'm, tr I'm transferring trust from my opinion to yours, from my will having to be done to actually trusting your will. 
And that's not to give in to passivity. We're going to talk more about that next week. So please do not hear me. This is, what I'm about to say is not an invitation to passivity. But Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther, the theologian from 500 years ago, he suggested that the main emphasis of this phrase, your will be done, was actually to give us courage to endure the brokenness that we will undoubtedly face in this life. You know, the, the unexplainable stuff. He says that, that when you pray that, that's what you're doing. You're asking, you're asking God to give you courage to endure the crazy, to endure the brokenness, to endure the hurt. Your will would get rid of those things. Your will would snap your fingers and say, I don't want to deal with that trial. I want that gone today. I want that gone right now. And sometimes that's what happens with our trials. Sometimes that is what happens with our trials. But what if that's not what God does? Martin Luther says we pray this phrase to reorient ourselves, to produce courage to endure what it is that's actually unfolding. So how do you handle tragedy? You know, I want to handle, I want to touch, the, this, is, this is tender, and I want to handle this carefully, but I also think it's really important. H how do you handle tragedy? You've cried out to God for, to help you. Maybe, maybe this is your story. You, you, you've cried out to God to help you or to prevent something, or to heal something, and he's not done it. You've, you've done it not one time, you've done it 10,000 times. And your experience is that his answer to your prayer is no. That that's not what I'm doing right now. You know, maybe it's a personal failure. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's an international catastrophe. Maybe it's a personal loss. If you take these things to God and they don't get resolved, in that moment, we are often frustrated with God because we have these two competing truths going on, that God is all-powerful and that God is loving. And we look at our situation and we say, okay, well, if God is all-powerful and God is loving, then why is this happening? Why, why, why doesn't he fix this? If he's powerful, he can stop it. And if he loves me, he would stop it. And the Bible says that God is both of those things. But what's our experience when God does nothing? Well, I can tell you what people conclude because people have said it to me, sitting with me, as they've been trying to figure out what to do in the face of their tragedies. They either conclude that God is all-powerful, he could stop it, but he actually is not that loving because he doesn't care to stop it. Or they conclude that God really does care, but he's not all-powerful, because he would if he could. And so there begins to be this, this, this uh, negotiation of which of these truths, either God's power or God's love, which one is actually the real one, which one is actually the one that God has. And yet the Bible says that God has both. Well, this is language that has comforted me and comforted some of you over, the, over these years. We might not know all the reasons that God allows what he allows. But we know what the reason can't be. It can't be that he doesn't love us. And you say, well, how in the world do you know that? And the answer is Jesus. Do, do, do you know that Jesus had a prayer denied? In a few chapters... In, at the end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 29, or 20, 20, chapter 26, Jesus 
is in the garden. And he is praying an excruciating prayer. And do you know that the language that he uses in that prayer is identical to the language that he uses here? As Jesus is facing the reality of death on the cross and separation from the Father, he cries out and he says, if if there's any other plan, if there's another way to do this, could this cup pass from me? And God says, no. And you know what Jesus says? Okay, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but your will be done. See, Jesus trusted his father in the darkest of moments when he was being abused and mistreated and misrepresented and falsely accused and facing the separation from God, God turning his face away from him. And he prayed to his father asking if this cup could pass from him. And the father says, no. And Jesus says, okay, I'll trust you. I would like the plan to be different, but I will trust you. Jesus trusted his father instead of his own desires. And guess what? It saved us. That what Jesus did on the cross saves people. You know, if the greatest injustice in the history of the world, the the, the righteous Jesus being killed for the unrighteous, if that greatest injustice in the history of the world led to the salvation of all who will come, then maybe we can trust that God is at work in ways that are bigger and deeper than we can fathom. That if the greatest injustice, if God can turn beauty out of those ashes, then maybe God can be doing something in your situation that you can't just quite see yet. And that doesn't mean that your situation's good. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm saying, can you trust your father in it? Can you trust that while we might not know all the reasons why God allows what he allows, we know what the reason can't be. It can't be that he doesn't love you. He gave his own son to rescue you. This very problem of sin is why Jesus came here and why God himself got his hands dirty to rescue us from it. You know, the good news for anyone who races to Jesus is that the worst case scenario for a Christian, no matter what you're facing in this life, the worst case scenario for a Christian is life forever with God in a place where there is no sorrow, suffering, sin, or death. That's the worst possible outcome for you. And so we are invited to trust our Father in the face of our worst moments. And I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm saying this is the invitation, the invitation to trust. Again, we are taking this prayer one phrase at a time, but it's all glued together. Jesus is teaching us how to pray to our hallowed Father, our unique and set-apart Father who rules the world. Do you know God is Father? That's what Jesus offered. Jesus offers the way to be adopted into the family, for you to be brought back and reunited to solve the problem that sin created, that separation can be restored. Do you know God is Father? Do you trust him as your Father? Do you know that you can trust him as your Father? One author wrote, until you can say, your will be done, from the bottom of your heart, you'll never know peace. And until you can look at, look at your father and say to him, I don't understand all this. If there was another way, that would be my vote. 
but your will be done. And I actually believe it's good somehow. This is what we rehearse. This is what we reenact. This is what we receive as we come to this table. You know that this bread represents a body torn apart. That this cup represents blood spilled. This table is an invitation to remember again what Christ has done for us. To receive from him all all of what he's done on our behalf. To remember that this did not come cheap. That it came at great sacrifice. That Jesus was willing to be thrown out so that we could be brought in. That he was willing to be cursed so that we could be blessed. We're invited to trust our Father just like Jesus did. Because in the end, Jesus is highly exalted. His name is the name above every other name. And he is the King who is reigning and will reign in full. This is a Father we can trust, even in our darkest of moments. If our service will please come, let's pray. God, it is not lost on me that there are some real-time stories in this room right now who may feel this like the weight of the world. That the idea of saying your will be done might seem like impossible words to, to, to get out of their mouth. That as they look around and they feel the brokenness of the world, they see the brokenness of the world, they, they, it's, it's up close and personal. that these might be words that feel impossible. God, I pray that you'd meet them right now. I pray that you'd meet every one of us right now. That you would encourage us. As Martin Luther said, God, would you allow this phrase to build into us courage to endure the brokenness of the world in which we live with anticipation and hope that you're at work in ways that we cannot see. God, this is the, 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 the pattern throughout, especially throughout the New Testament, that, that your followers were willing to step into crazy situations putting their lives and their, and, their, and their livelihoods at, rest, at risk because they actually believed that there was a big story that they were part of that actually really does have a happy ending. God, we can be so confused right now. It can be so painful right now. But we thank you that you give us this, this, this vision, this opportunity to see further down the road than we can actually see and to trust you with each and every step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.